five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston, and I'm joined by the wonderful John Lou McDonald. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, some interesting discussions to be had today, for sure. Yes, because today is our Oscar nominations, predict- uh, reactions, and winner predictions, and we are joined by an expert of sorts, uh, as seen on the on Sky News. We've got uh, Best Picture Correspondent, co-host, Will Mavity. Hello. Hello, hello. Thanks for letting me come on, guys. We are, we're privileged to have you here, mate, and, and obviously you're an expert on, on the... Uh, on the awards in a, a, to a degree more than, than we are. And we'll be talking about the nominations that have just come out minutes before we recorded, really, of the 93rd uh, Academy Awards, which, um, dare I say, had some surprises across the board. Um, some things we expected to see, some things maybe that no one saw. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, can I kind of gave you a little brief introduction there, Will, uh, but can you tell me, can you, can you tell us just, just who you are? Yeah, so I am one of the original members of nextbestpicture.com, and I am our Los Angeles-based correspondent in a non-pandemic world. I attend uh, industry (laughs) events to cover them, and in a pandemic world, I cover them virtually. I specialize in below-the-line races especially, but I've been following Oscar seasons since the departed season in 2006 and it is my privilege to get to talk about this season with you guys yes yes it's uh, great all round and um yeah before we <laughs> get into the the podcast jail i think it's uh probably a good point to just mention to, to anyone listening at, at home that uh, this isn't the first oscar podcast we've tried to record is it um no, no there there's there is a three plus hour <laughs> recording that's just in the ether somewhere lost mm-hmm. for eternity yeah we tried <laughs> to we tried to do a big recording of a, of an oscar predictions uh nominations um podcast we might mention what we predicted yeah. uh, later on um we did have a book three hour long two-parter but uh unfortunately uh technical issues it's not the first time technical issues have ripped apart an episode from uh, the national podcast the second episode also ripped apart by editing issues but without further ado let's get into talking about the oscars and i think it's probably best to start off with the most important stuff rather than going through kind of chronological order and Mm -hmm. stuff um and i'm just going to um just jump in and out and, and talk about different categories so i think uh we'll all agree that one of the most interesting categories that was uh, announced uh, the nominations this morning uh, would have been the actor in a supporting role category. I think we'd all agree. <laughs> yes. So we, I went in, we went with this, and we all had different predictions. A lot of people had Cherry Bozeman. A lot of people had Bill Murray. The nominations were Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of Chicago Seven, Daniel Kaluuya for Jesus and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. All pretty obvious picks. Paul Racy or Racy for Sound of Metal, which was definitely a pick that a lot of people didn't have, and, and it was kind of ones where I think a lot of people hoped but weren't exactly expecting to happen. And Lakey Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, I'm assuming you were with the rest of us, 
Will, in thinking that 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 Lakeith's performance would have been a best actor outside pick rather than a, a supporting actor. Yeah, I mean, this we can't we talk about category fraud, and usually you get to say, oh, the studio decided to campaign an actor in a category maybe they don't belong. We can't blame Warner Brothers. They explicitly submitted him and classified him in all their mm-hmm. campaigns as lead actor, and they had Daniel Kaluuya in supporting. So uh, this happens sometimes. Unlike the SAG Awards, Oscar voters don't have to vote for an actor in any specific category. But usually you run into vote splitting. That's probably what kept Jacob Tremblay from getting a nomination in for Room back in 2015. But this has happened before. Uh, Kate Winslet was campaigned for supporting actress for The Reader, and she ended up getting in and winning for lead instead. But it's definitely weird to have the reverse happen like this. I'm shocked. Do you think part of it speaks to um, a kind of a want to represent the film so much going into stuff like uh, Best Picture in and cinematography roles? Do you think maybe trying to justify the fact that it was getting so much that they tried to say, okay, we can try and get two nominations out of this? Or do you think it just purely comes to the fact that they, that they actually thought it was a supporting role? I mean, where do you think the... You talk about the Oscars splitting the you know and, and trying to get, you know, not fraud from the companies, but why do you think this decision was made? Yeah, I think the most likely thing that happened is that this was a uncharacteristically wide open field for the category. You know, I don't think anyone really thought that Jared Leto was going to get in even after his SAG and Golden Globe nominations, but there wasn't an obvious follow-up spot. So there, there was the possibility that you could get Chadwick Boseman in here as well, but obviously that film wasn't playing well with the precursors. So I think more than anything, this is evidence that it was a truly wide open category. I'm sure it was hard to find anyone who had enough votes to even make the lineup. So you probably had splitting among David Strathairn, some of the other Chicago 7 guys, maybe even Alan Kim for Minari. And ultimately, I think it's probably similar to when Ex Mahina beat the four more obvious films and visual effects when you spread all the votes around something else there is just one performance that has just enough passionate support to get in here like i'm guessing that lakeith probably didn't get in with a lot of people voting for him supporting i think he probably had just enough and he just benefited from a really split field to do it. I don't think it was a conscious choice to try and justify Judas. I think, you know, he just had enough people who decided to slot him in there. Yeah, I think I think as well Sam mentioned it in terms of, you know, some people were talking about Bill Murray and then you mentioned David Strathairn and Alan Kim and, you know, I'm pretty sure there have been maybe a couple of votes here and there for the likes of, you know, Aldis Hodge and... Um, you know, some of the support, other supporting members of, of Ma Rainey, perhaps, in that fifth spot. So it does make sense, I guess, that, you know, Lakeith has got in in that fifth spot with possibly, you know, a slightly larger number of, of different, like, of uh, of less votes than uh, the likes of, you know, Daniel Kaluuya and Leslie Dunn Jr., who we kind of predicted to be, you know, kind of locked in that category. Yeah, it's, it's, the thing is, is that I guess there's a question about how much you 
I guess it's a personal thing about how much you care about the actual nominations themselves because at the end of the day, the conversation hasn't really changed. There are three people that were going to be talked about for winning it. There are still three people that are going to be talked about for winning it. Um, I guess it's an interesting situation when, when you're getting these names that you didn't expect, but I think, you know, it, it's not like... I'd, well, I'll be surprised if Lakey Stanford was now walking into the driving seat for that that role, you know, I still think it's between those those main three. But I guess it is nice, especially um, when, when so many people didn't expect a Paul Rachel to get in there as well. You know, it, it's nice to see those outside picks, especially seeing as a lot of people felt like that people were just picking Chadwick for for because of, of his, his sad passing or people just picking Bill Murray because the, he was appreciated within the academy. But kind of going forward and kind of, you know, getting out our, our predictions and our, our reactions at the same time. I'll start off with you, Will, and, and who do you actually expect to be taking the the the, the win for, for actor and sporting role now you're looking at these five nominations? Oh, I think between the Golden Globe and the Critics' Choice Award and the fact that Judas did so well today, I think this is very much Daniel Kaluuya's still to win. The only question is, oh, what if he splits votes? But you saw Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson both get nominated for three billboards, and Rockwell still easily skated to the Oscar win. So I think Daniel's going to do the same. The only person I think who even would have a chance is Sacha Baron Cohen. But unlike Judas, uh, Travis Travis Seven underperformed. So I see no reason why, especially when that's not necessarily an Oscar-friendly performance by nature, that he would beat him. I think this is Kaluuya easily. Do you think that the fact that, and we'll talk about this more in depth as we go through the categories a bit more, uh, I'm assuming it's something that will keep coming up, but One Night in Miami also really underperformed uh, at the Oscars. Uh, I think, you know, it's a fair statement to make. And, um, you know, missing out on, on Best Picture nominations and a lot of the other big uh, nominations. So do you think that uh, that shows that Leslie Edmund Jr. is essentially out of the race as, you know, the general Academy didn't really enjoy the film? Yeah, I think this was definitely... I think he was always kind of the, in third in this race anyway. Mm. But... The good news is there's a very good chance that he still wins an Oscar for song. And so Leslie yes, Jr. True. may get his Oscar this year anyway. And that also takes away any sense of urgency to reward him. But yeah, if he had a shot anyway, I, I think it's it's pretty much done for after. I mean, honestly, I think Paul Racy at this point might even have a better shot than Leslie given how well Sound of Metal's come on and he has his own really strong narrative as this breakout yeah. performance and uh, from a, a deaf family. So I, I think that probably is even ahead of Leslie Odom now. So I, I'm going to go to JL um, because I, I've asked you that four questions in a row. But you say Kaluuya, you think definitely is going to win. Um, if you take out... Um, what you think, and just go for complete personal opinion here, would you still pick Kaluuya out of your out of what you think was the best role out of these five? And I'll ask Jordan the same afterwards. Yeah, I personally would probably go for Paul Racy. I thought that was just okay. a really beautiful performance, but Kaluuya is excellent. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would agree. I'm going to move to you, JL, um, and, and just ask, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure you, as, as you kind of said before, I'm sure you surprised everyone uh, about Lake Heath and and, um, and and getting in over you know some of the more established, the more 
well, more obvious names in the conversation. Um, but who do you think is going to win? Do you agree? Do you think Kaluuya is a lock, or are you going to pick to maybe Sasha Baron Cohen? What do you think? I think Kaluuya personally, and as a prediction, uh, is, is is my pick. I think as as Will's mentioned, you know, very much the forerunner in, in the category, and the fact that Judas has done so well, and other films um, have, have underperformed. I think I think uh, you know Daniel Kaluuya is. Uh, is my pick for both on a personal level and uh, you know an actual prediction for for a winner. I think um, especially because you've got less, less moving parts, you haven't got five different variables, uh, and also because of the way that the nominations have gone, I think we're going to find ourselves all agreeing on our predictions of who's going to win most categories. I think that stuff like actress, actor, uh, you know, are all going to be in agreement there. Um, but maybe I guess something we might disagree on is uh, performance-based, what we think. So I'll get you, JL, and, and you know, he, Will said, Paul Reishi, who do you think was the best of the, the five performances there in the supporting run? I'd say Daniel Kaluuya still. That's why, that's why I said uh, personal and oh, an actual prediction. Sorry. I think sorry. I think as well, though, is... Um, I mean, we talked as many times on the podcast before. Satch Brown Cohen, um, his performance in Trials Drug Seven was by no means bad, and and you know it was, it was a good performance. But I think personally, I I preferred Mark Rylance in in that film. Um, and if I'm being honest, I'd say out of the five there, even though Satch Brown Cohen realistically is probably going to be that second favorite, um, or maybe you know kind of in that top three at least. Personally, I would say out of those five performances, he's probably my least favorite. So uh, that's just an interesting. Little, uh, little aside there, but I think yeah, he's yeah. probably my least favorite of the five actually. Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, I, I, from from I agree kind of with you, JL. Uh, I agree both of you that I think Daniel Kelly is going to win it. Uh, I've it's, <laughs> you can't say it's in every category, but I actually have seen all the films nominated here. Um, and and I will say on this one, I I it's a very you know some very good performances in there. Uh, but I would say uh, Kaluuya, who uh, I said the other day, I don't think you can name five actors in the world better than Daniel Kaluuya right now. Um, you know, the range he has, uh, the emotion he puts into it, the way that he can do such a, a massive, you know, as a variety of roles, same with Ranger. Um, yeah, I would definitely say that, that Kaluuya is, is one, of, one of my favourites right now. And I think that Jesus and Side really cemented that for me. Just such an excellent performance, for, such an important role. Um, of course, there being a bit of a theme here um, that... Uh, all of the um, roles of these supporting actors films are, are kind of all very important socially. You've got Sacha Baron Cohen playing one of the Trigger Tr- Tr- 07, obviously an important kind of uh, anti-war group. Uh, Kaluuya and, and Stanfield being in a film about Fred Hampton, the Black Panthers and, and civil rights. Uh, one Night in Miami, kind of very similarly about that very um, important civil rights movement and, and him playing, of course, uh, a very important character in that situation. And, and Paul Reishi showing a very uh, kind of underappreciated or under... What's the, I don't know the word, but kind of... Uh, underrepresented. Underrepresented group. Yeah, underrepresented group uh, in, in the deaf community. Uh, I think that that kind of speaks to a general overarching... Uh, kind of progressive feel to to this year's Oscars, which I, I, isn't unlike the Oscars, um, of course. Who who you know trying to push you know strong and important narratives continually. Um, well, haven't always, but have made more of an effort recently to to push these important narratives. Um, so that, I guess that is, is a big positive, and I think something that's going to be coming up for, throughout these. Uh, so. Moving on, uh, well, I'd say uh, Chicago 7, actually. I was going to say as well, actually, yeah, I do think that uh, 
before we move on, um, there's often an element of politics to the Oscars. Uh, I'm sure Will can, is a bit more an expert, so I can, can definitely agree that there's so much politics. Um, it just became a kind of agreed on as a thing that Sacha Baron Cohen was a standout. Uh, do you think there's, there's a kind of that the what other people what other awards do and what other people kind of think is a narrative which really influences voters where you know they very as much as easily could have picked another uh, actor from that 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 film that that could have kind of got that kind of best supporting role you know do you think that 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 Sacha Baron Cohen could have kind of picked you know do you understand what I'm trying to ask you yeah uh, I think from the start Sacha Baron Cohen was kind of portrayed as the face of the film he's been with the project since it was supposed to be directed by Steven Spielberg back in like 2005. I think even he's been mm -hmm. with it since before Borat. So I think part of it was everyone involved with the film was going to rally around him because he has been such an integral part of getting it to the screen. But I, absolutely, I mean, voters do sometimes kind of do what they're told by precursors. Not always. I mean, we saw... Obviously, they didn't care that the critics said they should vote for Ethan Hawke a few years ago. But it yeah. was the combination of, I think, definitely Netflix deciding Sasha was going to be the one, combined with the fact that Sasha was everywhere with Borat this year and headlines, uh -huh. you know, with the whole Rudy Giuliani thing. And on top of that, some of the better performances in that film, like Mark Rylance, Rylance doesn't campaign. He's just, he just doesn't. So yeah. he, he didn't really help his case, whereas Sasha was doing interviews with every publication and he just kept appearing with Borat stuff. So he clearly wanted it. And I, I think that was a big part of it. So, yes, politics were absolutely at play. Yeah, I, and no, I was going to say, am I, am I making this up or I remember hearing a rumor at least last year. I'm not sure whether it happened, actually happened and turned out to be the case or not, but. I remember hearing a rumour early on in award season last year that Brad Pitt wasn't going to be campaigning for Ad Astra or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Does that actually happen or did he actually campaign in the end? So I wouldn't say he did a full court press like Melissa Leo and he certainly kind of let the narrative speak for himself. Uh, he was somewhere in between, I would say. Okay. He certainly didn't go all out like... Sasha did, but also, right. you know, there's a big difference when you're Brad Pitt versus Rylance, yeah. who, even though he's an Oscar winner, he's not, he doesn't have this self-perpetuating reputation, basically, that could carry him to a win right. without having a campaign. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're talking about Brad Pitt, who's someone that's almost bigger than any film he's ever been in, you know, this this is kind of one of the big stars of Hollywood, you know, he's always going to be, he doesn't need that introduction, and I guess somebody else that would be in that same breath, not to say that there wasn't any campaigning, would be Anthony Hopkins, one of the five nominations for actor in a leading role, alongside Riz Ahmed, Chadwick Boseman, Gary Oldman, and Stephen Young. Um, I guess Stephen Young and Gary Oldman are the kind of the two that, that could have been up for grabs, but... Are you surprised at all by any of the picks there, Will? No, honestly, this was the this was the SAG five. That's what I was predicting. You know, I um I had wondered with what seemed like increasing buzz for another round, and clearly there was. If uh, Mads Mikkelsen could crack it, but based on how Delroy Lindo had been snubbed by the major industry awards, it didn't feel like that was happening, and. You know, some people were wondering if Gary Oldman was wavering, but it just seemed like such a showy performance from a former winner. So 
honestly tracked about what I expected. Got to say, I'm very happy that Stephen Yun made it. One thing, mm-hmm. one thing I will pull out of the ether from that three-hour episode that we never got to wear um, was one thing that was mentioned a couple of times was how Gary Oldman, you know, he won for Darkest Hour, what, two, three years ago? Um, and there was a potential discussion around, you know, um, having won so so recently, would he be in the conversation? But I guess, as you mentioned with Brad Pitt and as, as Sam mentioned with Anthony Hopkins, it's kind of like part of, part of the process perhaps is just it's Gary Oldman <laughs> and the Oscars seem to have a very big uh, sort of attraction to his performances. You kind of are generally quite down on Mank in general, Jay. I think that's a fair comment to make. Um, do you not think this performance was worthy of a nomination? Like, not regardless of I'm your not... thoughts on Mank, do you think that Gary Oldman didn't deserve it or do you think that maybe somebody else deserved it? What do you think? I'm not surprised or disappointed that Gary Oldman got in. I think, you know, as, as Will mentioned, he was in the SAG 5 and... Um, you know his performance has been very well praised around all around. I think it was a good performance. I just would have liked to have seen someone like Delroy Lindo or Mads Mikkelsen um, get into that five. Um, I just think their performances were, were stronger this year, and you know I'm I'm, I'm glad that Stephen Yeun got in as as uh, as down as I appear to be on Minari, and on a couple of occasions I think uh, Stephen Yeun still gave a great performance, and you know Minari's done done quite well across the board, so. Um, that's nice to see as well, him getting in, in, in that category as well. Um, there seems to be much like, I think in most categories, you've got the, your, kind of your set locks and then your extras. And I think it's much, again, it's Riz Ahmed, Cherrick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins. Um, I would, I'd argue say I don't think anyone's really predicting Riz Ahmed to win the thing. Uh, he obviously, he did very well at the BAFTAs recently, but that was for a British actor. Um, no, sorry, I'm thinking of the uh, London Critics' Choice Award, sorry. Uh, there, there he got um, there he got the best British actor, um, but on a wider scale, um, JL, um, who do you see winning and who do you want to win in best actor? Uh, I see Bozeman. I don't see any world in which Bozeman doesn't win. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a very good performance, and, and obviously yeah. it has you know the the posthumous nature of the award, which um, you know he's he's very very heavily um, predicted to to win that award. I think, I think just about Anthony Hopkins was a stronger performance. Um, I think his Anthony Hopkins was a, a fantastic performance. You know, it's been called as a career best performance, which for someone like Anthony Hopkins is is no uh, no easy feat. So, uh, kind of that's just testament really to how good his performance is in the for, in the father. But I think um, I want Chadwick to win, and uh, I think he will. So that's that's what I'm going for on on that one. Okay, I'll preface this here by saying, you know, I live in the UK. Uh, we all live, well, me and you live in the UK. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of these films haven't been released yet. And therefore, I haven't seen The Father. So I can't judge off The Father. Uh, the other four, uh, I think Chadwick, well, I think I said it on the podcast. I was very, very big on Mulroney. I absolutely loved Mulroney. I thought it was one of the best films to come out last year. Um, and, and I thought that Chadwick Boseman put in, you know, the best performance out of the, the people on the board there. I think he will win it, of course, the person from his nature, um, you know, it's like Heath Ledger winning it. Uh, I do not think that uh, that was the reason. I think he gave a unbelievable performance and also, much like Anthony Hopkins, a career best performance. And it's almost a shame that people are going to have this narrative that he only won it because he died, when really that was a performance that is worthy of, of a, a best actor Oscar in many, many years, from my opinion. Also, uh, also as well, three uh, nice to see three British actors getting in there as well. Yes, yes, 
Yeah, we're just good. We? Moving over to the non-Brit. What do you think uh, for for who's going to win and who do you want to win? What are your thoughts here, Will? Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much everybody is going to be predicting Chadwick. The only thing that would make him more vulnerable is the fact that Ma Rainey underperformed a lot today. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, there's no urgency to give Anthony Hopkins another Oscar, especially because per our earlier discussion, he, he doesn't campaign. And that that narrative for Chadwick Boseman is, is very strong. And that is an excellent performance. So I, I think that's safely going to win. I think my personal preference among the five would be Hopkins. But I certainly don't begrudge Chadwick winning. That is a very, very worthy performance. Yeah, I'd say it's heartbreaking. I described it on the, on the Ma Rainey podcast uh, Christmas time. Uh, it's just heartbreaking um, to see someone come into their own so much, put so much into their roles, um, and and know that they could have given so much more. And you know the obviously horrific uh, instance that went on with with his cancer and, and his passing. And you know I think it's uh, it's it's a performance that, that you know is his last will, will live on uh, for many years and, and kind of just remind us uh, just how good of an actor he was, and um, you know what what we're missing here uh, without him. Um, you know, it's, it's, I've said it a few times. I've had a little, few little monologues about Chadwick, um, but yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking. Moving on, well, we'll, we'll talk about Mulroney, shall we? Mulroney uh, underperformed massively overall. Um, I think it was fair to say. Uh, I expected it to kind of be in the kind of higher conversation for some of the most nominations. Uh, it missed out on a few categories. It notably missed out in. in something we'll probably leave to the last best picture uh why do you think that was will uh jl said to me off pod about how he maybe thought that people weren't voting for it because people imagined it to be a lock um or do you think that's true or do you think people just didn't like Mulroney? can you can you why did Mulroney just underperform so badly yeah i mean it's a tough call i think there clearly there were some people who were just not feeling the stage to screen adaptations this year. Obviously the father got in, but you also had one night in Miami miss best picture. And yeah, I I can't quite explain why because it doesn't feel stagey, but I think the way that voting goes now prioritizes passion and I guess we have to assume that Ma Rainey was probably a film a lot of people liked, but maybe it wasn't as loved outside of its performances. And I think that really showed people just weren't putting it as number one on their ballots. Maybe it was more three and four and places like that. And that, that hurt it. I think it was just maybe it just wasn't a passion generator. I mean, I I don't have the stats here, um, uh, and you'd be more likely to, to have them if with you. Do you, you know? Do you, can you think of any other time where uh, it's it's something a film has been giving a, an actress and an actor nomination, but not received the best picture nomination? Especially since saying is there's so many you know you, it's up to not ten nominations for best picture. It just, has, has that happened? You know? Can you think of something where there's been the best actress and best actor nominations, and arguably in the conversation for possibly even two wins? Well, certainly not for wins. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, it, it does happen. It certainly happened more in the 
pre-expanded era. Um, yeah. I would have to get back to you on that off the top of my head. Like, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's a big it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Else. Yeah, I mean, th- yeah, yeah. Um, and that's interesting point though that Will brings up in terms of the comparisons between Ma Rainey, One Night in Miami, and The Father. Um, two, you know, two films where Ma Rainey and One Night, which I very much you know respected and admired, but I think something that Florian Zeller did with The Father was make a stage play truly cinematic. Whereas there was some criticisms of One Night in Miami, and in particular Ma Rainey, in terms of its ability to translate the the stage play into um you know, a feature adaptation. I think The Father did a much better job of it and that's probably why it's, you know, read the successes in terms of its overperformance in comparison to the underperformance of the other two. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I, I say it's, 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 it's a tough situation um, not being able to talk about The Father too much, but uh, yeah, I think One Night Miami, um, myself not being able to talk about The Father because I, I didn't watch it. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. It hasn't come out yet. Uh, but Ma Rainey um, sharing that, that One Night Miami uh, snub spot, I think that's the other uh, two that you're talking about for, for snub. You talked about earlier, Will, about how you expect uh, Leslie Adam Jr. to win Best Song. Um, or, or, sorry, for, yeah, and, and, and One Night Miami. Um, do you think that... Uh, that that it's a very similar situation with uh with that you say that the stage performance is not for one of Miami or do you think that uh we're talking to to another member of uh the music driving network uh Ricky Valero and he he said about how it, it's not particularly um that dynamic a picture it doesn't really say about passion that the one on Miami perhaps isn't um you know uh, outgoing enough isn't really pushing enough so that people feel passionate about Mar- uh, about One Night in Miami to the same degree they would about films like Nomadland or such? Well, first off, I wanted to say I figured it out. The last time you had lead actor and lead actress nominations without a Best Picture nomination was Walk the Line, and that ended up oh, winning really? Best Actress. And I'm, I'm sure that it, it would have gotten in an expanded field. So it hasn't happened since we expanded beyond five Best Picture nominees. Um, As for One Night in Miami, yeah, I I think clearly it getting into adapted screenplay, unlike Ma Rainey, suggests it had a little more passion. But yeah, I mean, that one, I think, of the three stage films probably suffered most from the criticisms of being quote-unquote stagey. And... Mm -hmm. I, I I think that probably was an issue with it, but yeah, again, I think it's very much a a passion issue. I think it's probably a film that was liked and respected, but it didn't necessarily engender the same level of passion that Promising Young Woman or Nomadland or something like that did. That's interesting as yeah. well, though, because obviously Regina King was much more in the conversation for Best Director than George C. Wolfe was for Ma Rainey, even though, as you say there was a, perhaps a bit more passion for Maureen. I think maybe One Night did a better job of kind of seeming more cinematic, whereas Maureen was kind of just like a straight translation almost, it felt like at times, whereas One Night in Miami perhaps had just enough really to have it in that director conversation and have it in, you know, in, in other conversations in terms of its ability to translate across. Yeah. I mean, I think that that implies that being true to its nature or being, you know, quote unquote stagey is a bad thing. I don't think that's something that we, I would want to to endorse. You know, I don't think that 
um, that necessarily should be a detractor at all, just because uh, One Night in Miami was more of a traditional uh, kind of cinematic, cinematic experience, and perhaps um, you know, and a casual viewer may have been excused from realizing it, its kind of roots. Whereas Mar Rainey, it very feels is true to that. I don't necessarily think that should be seen as a bad thing at all. Oh no, no I don't think it's a bad thing. No. Yeah, is no, what? I I don't think it is a bad thing to be stagey. However. Some it doesn't click with some people. Some people don't like it when a film really doesn't expand beyond its stage roots, and you know that's I don't agree with it, but it is an opinion some people have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll apologize uh, for maybe um, being a little bit more subdued in my uh, in my en- effort today. Uh, much like um, I'm, I'm very tired. Much like Will, Will, you described us before the podcast about how you've been up since. Since one AM or something, um, being on Sky Sports, uh, Sky Sports, Sky Sports. <laughs> Sky Sports. <laughs> Will you describe us being on uh, coming up, waking up at one AM, being on Sky, talking about um, the, the Oscars, and and obviously that's very impressive. Is, is there LA correspondent uh, very similar to me? You know, I, I woke up at twelve o'clock, and you know, and being a student, I, I mean, I'm still very tired. So, uh, apologies if I'm a little bit subdued compared to my usual uh, energy. Um, but moving on to actress in a supporting role uh this is one of the only times that, that you you've been completely bang on the money jl this was your five was... over glenn close olivia coleman amanda seafried and uh you yan jun yeah it was my right. it was my five that i predicted in terms of thinking it was gonna get in um i'm still i'm still kind of sad about the helena zengel sort of you know lack of of uh Representation, I guess you could say. Um, I was never expecting to get in though. Even no, as much as no. I like the performance, you know, I think there's also a big problem. As I said, that they always underrepresent children mm-hmm. or younger actors. Yeah, uh, I never expected Ella Zingle to get in. I didn't expect oh. her to get in, but I'm just kind of sad that she didn't. Um, I think it's interesting as well, though, because obviously Jodie Foster, who um, you know has been enjoying successes elsewhere, has has been snubbed from nominations completely. Um, if there was any suggestion that Ellen Burstein was going to get in for a piece of the woman, that's that was obviously thrown out the window. Glenn Close getting in, I think she was perhaps, in our opinion, as we've discussed in the podcast, she was perhaps the saving grace of uh, Hillbilly Elegy, and I, you know, I can see for sure why she got in. She's a very, you know, well regarded and by the critics and so on, and, and a great career, great career, and uh, gave her, you know, a good performance in an otherwise, in our opinion, uh, not so great film. So I, mm. I can see why she got in there. Um, it's interesting as well. I feel like I've discussed this on Twitter very on various um, times. I think the female, um, you know, best supporting actress and best actress had so many candidates. Where I mentioned yesterday on Twitter, if if there was, you know, a completely different five nominations in both categories, I would not be disappointed or surprised. Um, well, perhaps surprised, but not disappointed at least. There was so many good performances from from women this year that, you know, there was so many people who unfortunately had to miss out. I think yeah, you're about the, to uh, come with a point there, Will. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it really was a very strong supporting category. Um, I, I think that I would have been more open to predicting Zengel if it hadn't, if News of the World hadn't just shut. News of the World had one of the best overall guild runs of any film this season, but then from the PGA onward, it just completely crashed and burned. Yeah. So it, um, I think she would have been a contender otherwise. And then Foster, what I heard was that 
there was one publicist who was working her hard. And I think that's what paid off with the Globes. And that's happened before with things like Aaron Taylor Johnson. Um, and I didn't read into the fact she won. I thought more that it was the publicity that she was going to get from winning in that speech that could put her in. But yeah. I'm not necessarily shocked. I, I was pleasantly surprised that Amanda Seyfried did get in after missing SAG. I thought she might have been a Andrew Garfield type miss. But um, yeah, I was after how wild and unpredictable this race was. I was honestly surprised by how tame those five were. That's a good point, actually. You mentioned there about um, Jodie Foster not not really riding the you know potential publicity it could have given her from from that Golden Globes win. And then obviously there was the Alan Kim speech, which a lot of people were saying might push him over the line to that fifth supporting role uh, nomination for for supporting actor. And then obviously, um, apologies, I've forgotten, I've forgotten his name, but um, the sound design for Nomadland was also talked about in that in that regard because of its posthumous uh, nomination. And obviously that didn't get a nomination either. So it seems to be this year, maybe it's affecting by the lack of you know in person events or interviews or contact or whatever it may be but it seems to be that people haven't really capitalized on the, the sort of shock precursor moments I, I guess you could call it now that's my problem will uh that's what i was saying earlier you know politics i i the idea that somebody should be nominated because they had a speech um you know that that's the kind of thing that really grinds my gears you know i, I really think that you know, the, talking about the you know, a, a BAFTA nomination and getting her a nomin a BAFTA win, getting her a nomination here, um, or a Golden Globe, sorry, win, getting a, a a nomination here, or a speech, getting a nomination, or or a, a someone's passing, getting a nomination. You know, that's what I'm saying about politics earlier. You know, that that's that's annoying that that's a thing, but I guess we have to embrace if you're an awards analyst and an awards, uh, you know, podcaster and such as yourself, you kind of have to embrace that side of it. But it is kind of annoying, right? Yeah, but I think oddly enough, the fact that the Oscars have never fully been about merit is what has drawn me to them, because I mm. think it would be boring to follow the race if it was just the best films and the best performances always win. You know, it's it's not like this is new. Arguably, campaigning was even yeah, worse and more egregious in the 70s. And certainly, um, you know, back in the day in the 90s under Harvey Weinstein, so it's it's not new. I think no, this no, no, year, no, of not. you know, I so I've just kind of become inoculated to it. I think probably the main issue with those speeches and things like that not paying off nominations is that they just happen too late. You know, Alan Kim made his very cute speech with two days left in voting. And it didn't really. I, a lot of people, vote, a lot of people vote in the first day the ballots go out. So it, yeah, you know, I, I the main thing is they just didn't really have time to have the impact that they could have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, yeah, as I say, yeah, it, whether the, the the situation, the voting and stuff, it's always going to be the DNA of the Oscars, of course, um, and, and sometimes that feels more bearable than in other situations. Um, but yeah, of course, uh, that's something you but obviously become used to, and as say, uh, as part of the of the 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 kind of very thing that that 
maybe draws some people to the Oscars and maybe draws some people away from the Oscars. And we'll move on now to actress in a leading role. The nominees are Viola Davis, Andrew Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand and Carrie Mulligan. Now, I'll start off. I'll say um, I can't exactly remember my five, but it might have been this. Um, this is, uh, I don't think anyone is particularly surprised by any of the picks. Probably the least controversial, the least surprising five on the board. Um, I'll start off. I think that uh, Francis, ooh, no, I don't. I think Carrie Mulligan is going to win. I think my best is Viola Davis, I think. Maybe that's a little bit controversial. I think Viola Davis. Uh, <laughs> what about you, JL? Um, I th- my personal favourite performance of the five is Frances McDormand and I as much as I really want her to win and I think maybe the amount of success Nomadland's enjoyed in the run up to the Oscars and, and now in its nominations I still think uh, Kerry Mulligan is probably the standout favourite um, but yeah I, I, I would be happy with either of those two winning to be honest with you yeah and it's a completely unsurprising five, right? No. Is, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone's surprised by it, by this. There's no big snob. There's no, mm, I wasn't sure if he was getting in. This is a very basic five. I'm sure you'd agree, Will. Yeah, it's it's exactly who I expected. I, you know, I had heard Netflix was really going to try hard with Sophia Loren, but that just never really materialized. And mm. I think probably we can say especially with the way that Ma Rainey underperformed. Um, unless voters are just obsessed with Nomadland, I don't think Francis is going to do it. Viola seems not like she's not going to happen after that Ma Rainey performance. So yeah, I, I think I think Carrie Mulligan has this in the bag, given how well Promising Young Woman did today. Yeah, I think uh, that's the going to be the forerunner for a lot of people. I think um, as well, it seems to be the one where uh, I've, I've felt for a long time like that's what I've seen to be seeing the majority of people wanting on the internet just judging by fan opinion I think the, the, the overwhelming opinion seems to be that most people want Carrie Mulligan um, you know you said about thinking she's going to win uh, for yourself what would you personally pick there uh, Will if you had to pick a if you, ha- if you were, were voting for a number one which one would you go for there you know I really liked Carrie's performance I think I would probably personally pick her to win as well fair enough fair enough okay um, I probably uh, I'm not here for every category. I think you know, like it's like go the animated feature film, right? We're all happy to see Sean the Sheep get in there, right? Everyone's happy to see Sean the Sheep. <laughs> I love Ogden. Yeah, I was very happy yeah. about that. And obviously, it's obviously gonna win. Who is Soul? It's with Soul. Sean the Sheep. I've never heard of Soul winning it all, boy. <laughs> so, um, but I'll tell you something that was a bit controversial here, a little bit surprising, is that Thomas Vinterberg got nominated for directing alongside the likes of David Fincher for Mank, Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Woman. But I heard a lot of people talking, uh, Will, about the stake in another round going up. And you say, you said a bit an actor that there was a conversation that maybe Mads Mikkelsen might have been able to get in there. But I don't know about you, they do like to pick a foreign director. Were you surprised, as surprised as I was to see Thomas Vinterberg beat the likes of... Regina King, Sorkin, you know, even Spike Lee. Who were you surprised to see Thomas Vinterberg get in there, or do you think this was a very Oscar-y pick to include one foreign director? I had, after BAFTA, even with the jury system, how it impacted voting, I had moved Vinterberg into number seven, 
because mm-hmm. there's a couple things. First off, yes, the jury voting, you know, was only like 12 people picking the director nominations, but he still did it. That was a good sign. Secondly, uh, that film was quietly being campaigned pretty well. and He had a really, really good, compelling story. In every interview, he would talk about, you know, his daughter died in the middle of making this movie. And basically Mm -hmm. finishing it was the one thing that kept him sane. And I think that's that's a hell of a narrative. And then finally, um, the thing that most started standing out to me is he started reminding me of Michael Haneke in 2012, where he's a very well-known European filmmaker who's been releasing really good films for 30 years. And he's kind of seen overdue for a first Oscar nomination. And so it started feeling very Michael Haneke to me. Because, you know, he goes back to like the Dogma 95 movement with Lars von Trier and stuff in the 90s. He's he's a well-respected and established name. And if you want like a foreign director, um, nobody outside of the stage world really knows Florian Zeller. You know, he's, he's pretty non-established in the film world, whereas Vinterberg is not. He's very respected European director. Of course, it's a different situation because you're talking about a film that was in the front running or in the big conversation for Best Picture and obviously won it um, and, and won Best Director as well. But it, it kind of feels like an element of the same way that, that Bong got direct, nominated last year. Of course, you know, Parasite, you know, very different situation to another round. But almost that feeling that this is a foreign director that has been underrepresented by the Academy and kind of getting, you know, the long overdue respect. Do you think that's kind of a comparative situation? Of course, you know, being a different situation with, with whether it's being predicted to win or not. But, you know, that feeling that, you know, stuff like Memories of Murder and, and other and stuff being underrepresented in the wider Western world. Yeah, I mean, this... Um... I do think it, it, again, is very much kind of an overdue narrative for sure. He's not going to win. I mean, he's probably yeah, of course not. fifth in that category. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, he was overdue. And I think that that went a long way. Um, I had wondered, you know, I, I wondered how vulnerable Sorkin was. He seemed the most likely to get kind of Bradley Cooper, Peter Farley. But he... Um, it was a little showier than Farley's work. And I guess he is respected in the writer's branch, but not everybody loves him among the directors. I think this is definitely a bad sign for Chicago sevens chances at winning best picture. You know, it, it didn't have the worst possible day, but it certainly didn't do great. You know, it couldn't get a second actor in. it didn't get into production design or costume design or anything like that. Didn't get into sound, even though it had the Cinema Audio Society nomination. And, uh, you know, Sorkin missed. And we saw the Green Book. You can win without a director nomination, but it sure mm-hmm. makes it harder. Yes. It's, it's interesting you mentioned that as well with, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily bode, bode well for Trial of Chicago 7 with Sorkin missing in, in Best Director. Um, it's interesting as well because, obviously, Vincent got in there, and, and as you discussed, I think... Florian Zeller was potentially one of those outside options that could have maybe snuck in and perhaps a bit surprising he didn't given how well the father kind of seemed to perform. Obviously, there was talk of it maybe getting into production design, maybe getting into editing, but the fact that it got into those categories and, and got into Best Picture, are you perhaps a bit surprised that Florian Zeller missed in, in director? 
Yeah, I mean, again, the big thing with Florian Zeller is that he's not established. I think that is probably the main issue. And if the European favoring voting block is going to fall behind someone, they're going to fall behind the name. It's not that common for first-time directors to get nominated and certainly not when they're in a film that's you know, the father overperformed today, but it also isn't a top tier contender. So, and it's, it, it is very inventive and interesting work, but I think also another round screams directed even more than the father does. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, this is a film review podcast, of course, and we did Charlie Chicago 7 when it came out. Uh, and both of us were kind of disappointed uh, knowing how, much it was going to be in Oscar conversations, inevitably Oscar conversations coming around and still including it. We've talked about it already for, for supporting actor. Uh, it's missed out here in directing. Um, I just wanted to know, uh, Will, well, you know, why are you here? What were your personal thoughts on Charge Go 7? Uh, a lot of people weren't so big on it and as much as, as maybe the, the awards situation around it. But, well, you know, I just want to know a bit about your personal thoughts on Charge Go 7. I'll probably ask you a few different questions about a few different films as kind of they seem important here. But Sorkin missed, do you think it was deserved uh, in, in kind of regards to your own personal thoughts on the film? What did you think of Chicago 7? Uh, you know, I, I thought it's a solid film. It's, it's not amazing. I wouldn't give it best picture, but, you know, it's, it's the kind of classic Oscar studio fare that, they used to make a lot of, and it's nice to still have something that, you know, your, your parents will like. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought Sorkin's direction was better than people give it credit for, but I also personally wouldn't nominate him. So, you know, to me, it's like a solid seven, 7.5 out of 10 movie. And I don't mind it being in the races it's in, but I, I don't think it was some gross miscarriage of justice that Sorkin wasn't nominated. I can't. I kind of agree. Uh, seven, seven and a half sounds about right for my thoughts, and I think Jordan's as well. Um, you say that, Jordan? Yeah, seven, seven and a half, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I, I would say I, I was kind of very prepared for Sorkin to get nominated. I would actually very strongly thought he was going to get nominated, and then I was kind of pleasantly surprised. I, I in that kind of camp, thinking that his direction wasn't that good. You know, I don't think uh, that. You know, it was maybe. If, if in a positive light, I guess you could say it's a film that maybe doesn't need that aggressive direction because of the way that the, the kind of story and, and narrative is important. Of course, you know, I think uh, his greatest asset there, of course, is his writing. It's it's Sorkin, you know, we know how good of a, a screenwriter he is. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's, it's uh, I'm kind of slightly celebrating the fact that he didn't get nominated for directing. I actually I, yeah, I had a bit of a feeling he was going to be fighting. I actually had a, a scary feeling he might win the thing. Uh, at some point, not so much as recently, but you know, I thought, oh, you know, it's such an you know an Oscar thing to do to to kind of t- tease us with, with Zhao, and then actually, you know, the boring choice of Sorkin win it. But uh, Jordan, who do you think is going to win it, and and who do you want to win it? Um, for directing, well, I think on this on the Sorkin front, I actually had Sorkin missing actually. Um, oh, did you? Oh, yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah, because I I had Regina King as as my fifth. Um, and in terms of who I want to win, and who I think I'll win, I think both on both fronts, um, people who know me will have have no surprise that uh, Chloe Zhao is mm. my is my prediction and my favourite uh, on that front. But I'm very 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 happy to see Thomas Vinterberg getting in because Another Round is a very very good film. 
Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, what about um, you there, Will, on the on the want and the thinking perspective for directing? Yeah, I um, I honestly would say that I'm down with Chloe Zhao for both. I think that's um, mm. that's not my personal win among the nominees for best picture, but I think her directing is impeccable. So I think she will win. I think that's you know she's steamrolling, and I think she deserves it. I I think that she will win. Uh, JLG, do you know who I think? Do you know who I want to win directing? Um. So Zal Fincher for now. You want Fincher, right? I want David Fincher. Yeah. I think that's a quite unpopular opinion, right? I think most people probably don't want. Fincher. I'd say out of the current selection, he's what probably fourth favorite. Third. Third. I think I think he's above Chung in the amongst the Academy, right? I think Minari's doing. Mm, I don't know. Potentially, Minari's third. doing very well for itself. I mean, I, I yeah. if it had gotten editing, I would have felt even better today. But I mean, I, I do think it it still could be a sleeper to win the whole thing um, if. You know, there if there are people in the academy who decide that Nomadland is too boring, um, Minari's right there. It's a big crowd pleaser. There's a strong chance it wins SAG Ensemble at this point. So, um, and if that's the case, I can't imagine that Chung is in fifth. Okay, I, I yeah yeah, but I, I, well, I think Vinterberg's clearly in fifth, right? Is yeah. that not right? Fair statement. Yeah, I, I, yeah. It's 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 interesting, really. Uh, it's well, it's all interesting, but it's an interesting category with, with how well those kind of middle spots are, are quite volatile and such. Um, but I would be basically surprised if Xiao didn't win it. I know I'm going to be a bit wacky here, and I'm going to jump us straight middle of the show straight to best picture. Actually, I think uh, this is a good time to put it in there. Um, and I'm before I get into the to well. The nominees are The Father, Jesus Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Omen, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Now, the big question here is, Will, why did they only nominate eight? Yeah, I'm so glad they're getting rid of this stupid anywhere between five and ten nominations. It's, it's just annoying, frankly, and there's always going to be worthy things left out when there was clearly space for them. But, you know, the, the the way the voting system is set up, basically you need to get 5% of the Academy voters to put you as their number one film when you're filling mm-hmm. out your ballot. And sometimes in a given year, there just aren't enough films that do that, just the way the numbers break down. And they're getting rid of the system next year. They're going back to what they had in 2009, 2010. They gave us an even 10 nominations. But this year, um, Ma Rainey and One Night in Miami just didn't have enough number one votes. The father overperformed. Clearly, it had that passionate contingent across the branches that helped. But yeah, it's they they were concerned in 2009 when things like The Blind Side got in that didn't have passion. And so they rejiggered the voting system. But now, the instead of being too easy for maybe not worthy films to get in, 
worthy films are snubbed constantly every year there's something big that misses and there's one or two slots just empty so just to clarify for anyone that is completely unaware what is the system changing to as we're starting next year is that right yeah so they haven't decided if they're going to keep exactly the way they had voting the first two years of the expanded category they all they've said so far is that they're going back to 10 nominees but uh, historically, if they do it the same way, in 2009 and 2010, voters on their Best Picture nomination ballots listed 10 Best Picture choices. And then mm-hmm. just whoever got the most votes among those cumulatively would be the 10 Best Picture nominees. The current system is that you only put five. And oh, I it's see, a yeah. combination of who gets the most points among those five and who has a total of 5% of those ballots had their film as their number one. Yeah, so it's normally nine. That's the normal number, right? It's, it's the most years you get nine. So getting eight, you know, shows that people were a lot stronger on these eight films and a lot less, you know, you know, there's a lot less variation between. Most people seem to be going for the same eight names, not including the likes of Marania or one that in Miami. But how surprised were you to see that those two films snubbed? Well, um, certainly less so by the time they happened, given how Ma Rainey missed screenplay. You know, there were misses here and there, but, I, you know, I, I, I was surprised. I certainly didn't think both would miss. I thought one or the other was possible. But, you know, they did have good precursor runs. They both got into SAG Ensemble. They both got into the Producers Guild. They, I mean, One Night in Miami probably has a good chance to still win the Writers Guild Award. So they seem to have the right precursor support. Both missing is definitely surprising. Yeah, uh, I think, um, you know, not many people would have, would have had that uh, going into this. I'd very much probably doubt anyone had the exact eight and just eight. Um, so just, you know, I think this is probably the... You know, this is best picture. This is the film of the year, and so everyone's opinions are going to be uh, very different on their personal level. So far, we've all agreed on every winner. Uh, I want to see if that continues. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go to you. To you, Will. Um, who you know? As as uh, who do you think? What does it look like is going to be the winner here? Uh, and and then follow up. Who who do you think? Who would you like to win? Um. I- I, for a long time, I thought that Nomadland wasn't going to pull it off on the preferential ballot, but everything seems to have gone its way, and I think it is more accessible than something like Roma that also didn't play well on the current preferential ballot voting system. Um, And I guess for context, the preferential ballot is basically when you're choosing the winners – you either need to get a certain percentage of everyone's number one vote on a first round of counting ballots, or they go into subsequent rounds of voting where they get rid of the film that had the fewest number one, the the fewest votes overall. And then they switch whatever had, So if I have a ballot and let's say I had Judas and the Black Messiah as my number one on my winner ballot, 
And Mm -hmm. let's say Judas and the Black Messiah has the fewest overall number of number one ballots. They're going to get rid of Judas and then they're going to give its points to whatever was number two on those people's ballots. So the system favors things that have a lot, the films that are liked and not loved, but also not hated. So you want to be a film that's everybody's number two and three. So, Mm. and you don't want to be a lot of people's like seven or eight because yeah. And and, do do you think that that bodes badly for Nomadland? Because it is definitely a very love it or hate a film. It's a very slow burn. It it obviously doesn't, you know, focus on plot. And I think a lot of people uh, don't like that. And a lot of people absolutely love that. It is quite a love or hate film, Nomadland, I feel. Do you think that that means that, that that would perhaps be badly and something that's a bit more safe, like trial would do a lot better? Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen. The thing that's really going to tell us is if Nomadland wins the Producers Guild Award, because it's the only voting group that uses the same preferential ballot system as the Oscars. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that was the moment that people should have realized there was a problem for the social network. There's a problem for boyhood. There was a problem for Roma when they lost on there. Um if Nomadland wins there, it's smooth sailing to the Oscar. So right now I'm leaning towards yes, because I don't think it's as divisive as Roma. Um, and it doesn't have something that is industry crack like Birdman was. But I say all this Producers Guild Awards pending, because if it loses, then I'm inclined to say whoever wins the Producers Guild Award, like Green Book did a few years ago, is winning Best Picture. Did last year, did Producers Guild win Parasite or? No. So that was, so that was 1917, but that mm-hmm. is, you know, that is an anomaly and general yeah. go with the Producers Guild choice. Um, I have a question for you actually, uh, Will. Who, who would you say, if, if Nomadland were to, to miss out, who would you say is the next best? Well, excuse the uh, reference to next best picture <laughs> who is the next yeah. best picture um, in terms of likelihood I mean Netflix is still going to push Trial of Chicago 7 very hard to make it happen even with the director miss today and I don't know if people hate that movie so it might get a lot of two and three votes and be kind of a spotlight type that you know benefits from that preferential ballot but I gotta see if it does translate to winning at the producers guild if it's not trial i think it's minari who clearly i doubt anyone hates minari and it does also seem to have a lot of passion so i i think it's definitely a sleeper too interesting 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 uh i will go back to, actually what i'm gonna do is i'm not gonna ask you for your your choice yet i'm gonna ask jl for his pick and then me for my pick and then we'll all go around for our, our personal opinions jl who do you think is winning do you are you gonna just yeah? Are you gonna go for Nomadland, um, like like Will, or are you gonna go a bit out there and go for something else? What are you gonna go for? I think it will be Nomadland, but if Nomadland is this is div- as divisive as you maybe suggested it could be, um, I don't know if this is a very out there pick. But Will, is there any chance of promising young woman? Do you think? Yeah, there is a chance of promising young woman. It had about its best possible morning today. Um, yeah. that film 
I know is divisive. It has a lot of passion, but there are some of the older voters who are turned off by it. Uh, and the worst thing voters can say about Nomadland is that some might think it's boring, but I don't think they're going to hate it. But there are some of the old, you know, 60 plus crowd of voters who find promising actively off-putting. So I think under preferential that makes it harder, but it, it had a very, very good morning. It's certainly mm-hmm. what we would call a top five contender. You know, it would have been yeah. in a field of five. It would have been one of the five nominees. Yeah. So yes, that's mine. I, I think Nomadland will win, but um, Promising Yulman could be a potential surprise if, if Nomadland misses out. That's my prediction. Um, I don't know if I am being a complete idiot here. And I don't know if um, I'm making the wrong decision by going against what I'm hearing. But I will say that we had that three hour long thing and a lot of the kind of more obvious predictions didn't turn out. Um, and so maybe, you know, I, I'm going to get the excuse for saying the, the thing that's thinking. I am picking, I think, I think Jews and the Black Messiah is going to be the best picture. Boom. Wow. Is that, is that a ridiculous pick, Will? What do you think? No. It's not ridiculous. I mean, it had a pretty good day today. I I would be surprised, but stranger things have happened. I mean, getting both actors in, it, even in a w- odd category placement, it's possible. And, you know, it is it is a studio film, so it might, you know, it and Trial are the closest things to the classic kind of old school studio type films in the race. You know, it comes from Warner Brothers it's not in one of the up-and-coming streaming services. It's possible. It. I so, would be surprised, but it is possible. What does it have? It has original screenplay, cinematography, and song, right? As its other ones, other than the acting ones. It has screenplay. Yes. Yeah, it has cinematography, screenplay, two acting, picture, song. Yeah, I mean that's. That's a solid haul. It could have done better. It could have gotten into editing. It could have gotten into production design. Things like that would make me say, oh, like especially editing would make me say, oh, man, this is, you know, this is the real deal. But how how often does a best picture not win editing or at least not nominated for editing? Oh, that's a good point. It's huge. That's a very good point. It's not so much about not winning, but not getting nominated. It. That actually remains a really, really good statistic and warning sign. The editors branch, more than almost any of the other Academy branches, tend to vote for just their favorite films overall. So every year, like last year, that was a big warning sign for, I mean, we didn't even realize in hindsight, but for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and 1917, they both missed there. The year before, Roma missed there. Um, every The only film since ordinary people in 1980 to miss a nomination for best editing and still win best picture was birdman and you know the reason it missed was because it was the whole one shot shtick Mm -hmm. so it's that's a pretty damn reliable uh precursor to look at did it get editing like Green Book got editing, Roma did not. You know, that Green Book's not an obvious editing showcase, but getting in there, huge sign of support. So definitely look to what got into editing today. 
Uh, and, you know, for example, note that Mank missed editing despite having pretty yeah. flashy editing. That's On Minari a real well. sign of lacking support. And yeah, it's, it's a bad sign for Minari too. Were you surprised to see on the kind of editing thing, you know, I'm still going for just about side because, you know, I'm being edgy. But do you, were you surprised to see Mank not only miss editing, but miss visual effects, which it was talked about a lot for before? Yeah, <laughs> visual effects was all over the place. I really thought Welcome to Check Neo was going to do it because yeah. they had a really great narrative there. And apparently the presentation went well to Bake Off shocked by love and monsters out of nowhere nobody yeah. saw that movie and yeah. it's comparatively low budget um i would just quickly say um the nominations are love and monsters the midnight sky mulan the one in ivan and tenet in case anyone didn't see it yeah so love and monsters getting in was a real shocker for me i thought either check me or mank would get in but you know, sometimes that category is all about rewarding the films they just like overall and then sometimes they just do a year like this where they go solely based on what visual effects stood out. I'm uh, I'm kind of... I don't know, Mulan VFX was nothing special for me. I, I'm kind of a bit taken back by how well it's done on, on that front in, in terms of precursors and obviously now the Oscars nomination. Um, obviously there was a conversation with VFX... I mean, we should probably go back to the best picture, um, yeah, finish off like this conversation, but yeah, we were doing. On, while we're on VFX, I think... Um, obviously, there was a conversation around whether Soul might sneak in as a, as a potential candidate. Uh, Welcome to Chechnya, obviously, was potentially a big miss. So many people had that in their five. Even I'd not seen it, but having heard the concept and seen some of the VFX in action, I think that was a big surprise that it didn't get into the five. Um, I think we can pretty much agree, really, that Tenet's going to take VFX. I, I mean, I'd be very surprised if it didn't take VFX. Yeah, especially with Midnight Sky missing out in some places like score and production design. You know, there's a, there's a very strong correlation between a production design and visual, a nomination of visual effects when, and also half the battle is just getting to watch enough voters to, e- to get enough voters to even watch your movie in some of these below the line categories because they're just not going to watch them all. And Tenet is really the only one that is in several categories, which automatically makes it more likely for voters to watch it at all. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, 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 definitely. And it's a shame that that's, you know, that, that everyone, you know, that people are human and can't watch everything possible, but that is unfortunately a situation that, of course, is going to happen. People can't constantly watch every single film, especially given their own lives. Um, but yeah, it does definitely um, prioritise that there's there's bigger films, and obviously Tenet being the biggest, you know, one of the the biggest releases of the year. But going back to big, big best picture, um, and you know, kind of reminding us back back there, you know, out of the Father, Judas Sire, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Charge Go Seven, JL, what would you pick as your personal want rather than what you think? is uh, the best or the most likely but what would you personally want to see win best picture what was your favorite film out of those my personal favorite um again as you all know with the chloe zero thing i think nomadland is is my personal pick however if nomadland were to miss and i said promising woman would be the one i think might sneak in as a potential surprise as a prediction but as a want i think my second in line would actually be the father um that's my that's my second choice preference for what I would want to win. 
Really? Yeah, very, I, very good uh, film. My my personal favourite pick got snubbed. Uh, Ma Rainey, Black Bottom. I love that film. I adore that film. I, that, I wanna, I, I'm going to get try and get that in quite soon because I absolutely adore that film. Um, but it didn't get picked. Uh, so, therefore, uh, I'm going to have to say, I think, you know, a lot of very good films on the board there. But I'm going to have to pick Judas and the Black Messiah out of those ones as my favourite film. I think this is a very important message. Absolutely excellent performances throughout. Uh, I'm very happy to, to see the, the nominations that I saw. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go for Judas and the Black Messiah. How about yourself, Will? What was your favourite out of those films? Uh, you know, I would probably say Promising Young Woman, Minari, or The Sound of Metal. Those are the three I really loved among those. Okay, okay. That's uh, quite diplomatic of you. Uh... <laughs> I think uh, I'm so conflicted on, on a bunch of the films in that category. I think I need to re-watch Minari for sure. Um, it's one that has been doing so well with so many people, and I think maybe... I didn't give it the kind of attention or I don't know. I, 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 not like I didn't pay attention to it, but I think maybe I need to revisit the film perhaps with, with fresh eyes. I'm not sure whether it'll be tainted now with all the Oscars and award hype that it's been getting, but I think maybe I need to give it another shot. I think Mank and Chicago 7 are two films that me and Sam were a, a bit disappointed by or at least underwhelmed by, um, like overall. So I'd say those are the two that I'm not particularly too keen on on winning um and then and to be honest any of the other films i would be happy if, if they if they won to be honest with you i think they're all very good films the ones that are remaining don't include me in your main hate <laughs> well you 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 were at least somewhat underwhelmed right you you thought it was going to be at least somewhat better than it was yeah maybe but i still would be very happy to see it win this picture also we can at least we can now look back in retrospect on these nominations and and say yeah, Mank didn't get like fifty nominations because uh, some people. Is, is I mean, it's it? fair, even I was. I was kind of thinking, where's he gonna miss? He's gonna have to miss somewhere. Like VFX obviously was one of the ones where it was possibly most likely to to get snubbed, and it and it did. Um, and there's a couple of uh, what other categories did it miss out on that we kind of editing. expected it to editing. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't too particularly keen on the editing of Mank, so like, I'm. Not necessarily disappointed it missed there, um, but uh, I'm kind of maybe it's surprised that it missed there. I kind of thought it would do do better on that front. Moving on to editing, um, I I just uh, before we kind of go into to our thoughts specifically the the nominations being the father, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and the Trial of Chicago Seven. Will just you know you kind of stepped on you know saying that you know editing you know that this got nominated this didn't. Uh, it's a good showing of, of what's kind of considered for best picture. Maybe it sounds like a stupid question, but why is that correlation so strong compared to other categories? Why is editing such a um, kind of synonymous with, with best picture, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a variety of reasons. First and foremost, some branches of the Academy more than others are just more inclined to vote for their favorite films overall you know you you see like for example the makeup branch and the production design branches often just vote for whatever they want uh the editing branch tends to rally around just overall oscar favorites but the other thing you can argue certainly is that it is hard to have a good film 
without it being well edited. In t- you yes. know, th- it, it is the the most crucial art of the film, making sure you showcase the right reactions from actors. You pace it well. You make it flow. You know, they talk about you make a film three times, one on the page, one when you shoot it, and a final time in the editing room. So the editing is the heart of the film. And I, I think it's a combination of that branch was votes for their favorites and what is film without editing? Yeah, I agree, definitely. But what is film without screenwriting and what is film without directing? And those necessarily aren't always, uh, you know, synonymous. You know, you say you make a film three times. Why does the first one not matter as much as the third one? Yeah, well, I think part of it is... Um, with screenwriting, there's certain things that voters are more inclined to go for, regardless of if they alone mean something as well written. So, for example, the writer's branch loves movies with lots of dialogue. And, you know, I think Mad Max, Fury Road, Dunkirk, uh, movies like that are great films they're very slim on dialogue and the writer's branch doesn't vote for them. It doesn't mean they're not well-written because writing is more than just dialogue. Their structure is very good, but it's not the kind of thing that grabs nominations. And with director, sometimes there are films that you can argue are workmanlike in their director, but direction, but they have exemplary writing and the performances are great. Those things elevate them. But sometimes, you know, there are films in the 90s, like Scent of a Woman, the good movie. It's probably not mainly due to Martin Brest's direction. So I, I think it's more that, but it really, a film's flaws really show if the editing is poor. Yeah, certainly. However, I'd say that there are some films uh, where the editing is has less need to be as dynamic or noticeable, uh, and I guess things like that generally would be picked for Oscars where things are more, you know, when the directing is more apparent, when there's more dialogue, they're more likely to win those Oscars. Uh, film editing, if it's more subtle or, or less showy, it hasn't really got less of a chance. It's kind of a bit more thing where you think about uh, a lot of films where the editing isn't as uh, you know um start you know films on films don't have that same kind of pop to it it's just a uh, kind of part of the story and yet they don't find themselves dropping down you know the same way that you know makeup and hairstyling oscars don't get given to films that have casual looking makeup and hairstyling it's given the ones that look showy you know, it's a little i just feel like it's a slightly you know i guess it shows i guess i guess the point here is is that because different groups of people vote for each different individual section that you're going to have styles of voting choices uh, that kind of bleed through each Oscars you know the film editing group are a specific group of people I think that shows in a way that in that some sections you say makeup and hairstyling just nominate whatever uh, and then maybe some other things go for their favorites you know I guess it shows that there's real personality in each group yeah and I think the other thing is to that point uh, you don't need to be showy to get a nomination. Editors understand that editing is more than being flashy, but you do need to be flashy to win. And that is mm. because everybody votes on the winner. And so that's why you often see films like, for example, in 2018, 
the favorite got in for best editing and i think it's objectively a much better edited movie than bohemian rhapsody but yeah bohemian rhapsody has lots and lots of cuts and voters see that and they're like oh that's editing i see a lot of it therefore it must be good so uh that is not the case with winners you do need to be flashy to win just not to get nominated yeah, it's a good point. We're talking about the correlation between best winner, uh, best picture winners, and film editing nominations, not film what? editing wins. That's a that's a good point, actually. I'm kind of mixing up those things. So sorry, I was cutting over you there, Jordan. Are you saying something? No, I was just gonna say to, to Will. Would you say that any of the five this year for editing are, are particularly flashy? Though I'd say a lot of those are quite subtle. No Madland, The Father, Sound of Metal. They they're quite subtle editing. Trials. Sound of Metal. Oh, yeah, Trials incredibly point. flashy. Yeah, that's uh, if, true. If you think of like the opening scene where you know they're they're finishing each other's sentences as they cut back and forth to yeah. introduce each character, and then also throughout the various ways they have these smash cuts to like mm-hmm. every time they have a new witness come back, it cuts back to this is an undercover person they met at the rally and stuff. And that's um, true. Yeah, trial will probably win this it is yes. undeniably the okay. flashiest so you th- so that's your your pick f- for win what what do you think do you think they had the best editing yourself as well or if you had he, to pick a winner you're talking to me or you're talking to will i thought of will oh. are you honestly you're the least of my concern <laughs> <laughs> so i would say so first off uh the one thing working against trial is that there is a there is a big correlation with voters between sound and editing you have to go back to the departed to find a film that won best editing without a sound nomination and so last year um that's why a lot of people were predicting parasite to win because it won the american cinema editors award and you know it, it was having such a great night but ford versus ferrari won and that you know it, it had that sound it had a sound win in fact so the that precedent does make me wonder if there's anything that could beat trial it's probably sound of metal which had a really good day today and is probably winning best sound so um yeah but yeah it's it, it, no i'll just say it kind of reminds me of whiplash that's what i was gonna say yeah and it's not quite as you know whiplash is insanely dynamic and obvious in its editing sound mm-hmm. is more methodical than that but it it definitely could but yeah, and personal win. I do like the work in trial a lot. That's probably my personal favorite. Yeah, I think when you're when you're talking about uh, just just bringing it up there because I'll make any uh, take any opportunity to mention that film. Um, obviously, Whiplash won film editing. Uh, for me, probably my favorite editing in any film. Actually, I think that, that if in that respect, that's probably the goat for me. Um, when it comes to my personal thoughts on this one, I think my favourite editing was probably Nomadland. We're talking about not being flashy and I think a use of effective editing. I think Nomadland for me, I thought, was, was edited very, very well. So I picked that. And what I think is going to win, I'm going to go Sound of Metal. I say a little, I think, um, you know, it is quite flashy at points. Uh, I think Sound of Metal, yeah, I'm going to go for that. I think um, there is a big correlation between the sound and, and the editing there, and I think um, they, they will go for that myself. Uh, what about you, JL? Uh, again, Nomadland is my personal choice, and prediction-wise, um, oh sorry, no, personal choice-wise, I think, again, it kind of correlates, um, we've talked about the correlation between editing and, and best picture, 
kind of perhaps no surprise that my second favorite editing is the father um mm. the use of editing in that film is i said before it's not flashy it's very subtle it's kind of a mixture of both it kind of has these moments of like oh wow that's really clever and also very subtle pieces and maybe on a rewatch especially some of the more subtle moments might become a bit more um apparent and a bit more clear um but I think I think the editing of that film just adds to just the entire sort of feel and tone and and uh, sort of theme of the film um, in many ways as as the production design does. So yeah, I would say Nomadland is my personal choice with The Father being sort of a, a close second. Uh, what I think will win, I think it's between Nomadland and Trial of Chicago Seven. Um, as Will mentioned, very kind of made me more aware of I, I had kind of forgotten how flashy the editing was of that film because I wasn't particularly uh, enamoured by the film overall but I think yeah the editing of the film you think about the opening sequence that Will mentioned um, or some of the cutbacks to different various flashbacks and so on and, and the way that the, the film is put together um, you know very flashy and, and very strong so that would probably be my prediction um, for a, for a second choice yeah, um, we're not going to go through every single category, so but I definitely think that we need to at least get through the two writing ones and cinematography, and then after that we can talk about anything else we're particularly interested in. Um, mm-hmm. Just want to quickly say um, it's been great having Will on, uh, but unfortunately, due to the fact that he described Mad Max Fury Road as a great film, this will be his last <laughs> appearance on the podcast. Uh, it's, I know, do not brand. agree. This is I did not take this stance. Mad Max <laughs> is a great film. Sam is just. A- Sam just hates good cinema, that's basically what he's saying. Sam hates monster trucks and guitars and Fast and the Furious in the dust, sorry. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about writing, shall we, boys? Uh, writing, you know what, let's just let's talk about Borat's subsequent movie film getting getting adapted <laughs> to screenplay nominations. And The we? White Tiger as well. And that was The a White shock. Tiger, joining The Father, Nomad, and whatnot in Miami. So, Borat, really? Like, I'm... <laughs> Man, it got that that Writers Guild nomination. It got the Producers Guild nomination. So clearly, and Amazon really spent a lot of money campaigning that film this year. And it it, it paid off. But I am still so shocked. Like, you know, it it was a weak field. But what, you couldn't find a spot for for Ma Rainey in there. Mm. And... Especially because this film was heavily improv too. That's, I mean, like there was a structure for it, but yeah. a lot of the comedy was kind of made up as it went along. Also, they don't normally like sequels. Also, they don't normally like comedy. Period. I mean, the first yeah. Borat got in, but that was one of the biggest movies of that year, and this is not that. So I couldn't believe they pulled it off, but it suddenly makes me think that Maria Bakalova might have a real chance at winning. When it comes to obviously, there's kind of a correlation you mentioned between like editing and best picture. There's, no, there's a correlation between um, production design and VFX. There's a correlation between uh, sound and editing and so on. You've mentioned the different correlations, and obviously, welcome to Chechnya, missed VFX and documentary. Are you perhaps surprised then that um, even you know we've seen turntables miss out? on Best Song and Husevik coming in. Are you surprised, perhaps, that Wuhan Flu didn't come in given the success of Borat in screenplay? You know, I, I thought about that happening, and they certainly pushed it, but at the end of the day, <laughs> it it's a funny song. 
But A, they got their comedy movie song fixed with the objectively better song from um, Eurovision. Sorry. Yeah. You can't yeah. have an objectively better song. <laughs> That's yeah, not how music works. I'm going to chop them up like the Saudis do. Um, but yeah, I, the other thing is Wuhan Flu is like 40 seconds long. It's really funny, mm. but it's barely a song. I mean, so... Yeah, I wasn't that shocked by that. I'm kind of surprised they haven't released that because I I remember seeing the footage from the like from the behind the scenes almost like when people were filming when it kind of came out that this was happening and Borat was actually happening and then there was some like footage that got posted online of of uh, Sasha yeah, and Cohen like, actually doing it. Yeah, like people like telling him to get off his stage, like he got a score off his stage and stuff. But I mean, it's interesting because as I mentioned on our review of Borat there was a lot more that wasn't shown of that song and of that sort of entire segment that was just completely cut out of the film. I'm kind of surprised they haven't released, like, the more version. of the footage or yeah. more of the song. That might have helped it in, in that regard. As you say, only 40-odd odd, odd seconds long. Perhaps if they'd have actually released some kind of full version, so to speak, it might have done a bit better, perhaps. It was, it was funny that it got shortlisted. It would have been very funny if it got nominated and it would have been probably the best thing to ever happen to Oscars if it won it but unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately so they go for the Life boring and snooze fest of hear my voice instead <laughs> oh god and you know what kills me about hear my voice is that I really really like Daniel Pemberton and I think he's such a cool composer you know his his music in Steve Jobs and Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse and even in the pretty crappy King Arthur movie I, I, I was really looking forward to him getting his first nomination one of these days. But for that song, that's like yeah. when, you, when you look at Alan Silvestri, um, you know, his, his iconic list of scores and he, uh, you know, he can't get nominated for stuff like Back to the Future, but he's nominated for the Polar Express. Is it weird as well how... Um... Hear My Voice got nominated for Best Song, but Trial missed for Best Score, and then The Five Bloods comes into Best Score, which may be a slightly surprising. And obviously Minari as well coming into Best Score, and, and Rain Song, which could have I could have seen doing something like Moon Song from her. Um and then and then both of those were both of those were shut out of the respective categories, but we see uh, we still see Hear My Voice coming in. Yeah, it's you know, I wouldn't. It's not a strong score, and I think if it had gotten in, that it would be undeniable proof that that film was, you know, still very much in it to win it. But mm-hmm. usually, yeah. kind of bland scores only get in if they're part of the Oscar club. So you know, you get Alexander Desplat in for Argo because they love to nominate him. You know, you, you get your John Williams is in uh, when there's a best yeah. picture contender in play. But Pemberton's never been nominated. He's not part of the Oscar club. And Blanchard, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't go for Thomas Newman or Desplat this year, who are the usual Oscar favorites. But I guess yeah. now that Blanchard's finally been nominated, he is part of the club. And so they're more likely to go for him. Also, Ludwig Gurns are missing out. He's, um, he's just a complete shambles, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, Tenet yeah, I should have should have by far and away been been in the conversation, and it's yeah a bit of a shame really that Ludwig has uh, been 
been snubbed in that category. I uh, I don't trust the I haven't trusted the the, the score people um, since Parasite did got snubbed last year despite being the best score of last year. Uh, no, no, I, I think I think there were eligibility issues with that. I think that I think oh, some of it's um like the uh, the really great track that when they're pretending she has tuberculosis like yeah 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 i think that was a remix of a classical track so i think that's why it didn't make the short list uh, don't start singing we'll get some dmca strikes <laughs> we can sing, you can sing like six seconds you're like you're allowed like six to eight seconds or something i did media law i got i got dmca strike the other day on twitter for posting a film clip like six months ago really yeah what film was it I don't know. I can't, it was the tweet got deleted, so I can't remember. Oh, that's a shame. Did you see the Memphis thing on Twitter? No. Did Did you see the Memphis thing on Twitter, Will? No, I didn't. If you tweet yesterday, if you tweeted the word Memphis, you got suspended for twelve hours. What? Just Why? Like, anything with the word Memphis in it. It was like a Twitter glitch, and then they un oh, they unsuspended everyone after like seven hours. But like, I saw loads of people on Twitter being like, "Where did the Grizzlies play again?" Or and then or. Um, who was the prize <laughs> first name and then like loads of people being <laughs> getting suspended but uh, I'm being it. I'm being really stupid oh no Thomas Newman did um, little yes. things yeah 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 mm-hmm. I, I was I was had a mind blank of which score he did um, yeah. I'm, yeah Midnight Sky as well was one that I didn't particularly think was a great score but I was kind of thinking it might have a chance of getting in just because of Alexander Desplat so um I mean, the fact that that didn't get in and Tenor didn't get in is, is still so baffling to me. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think Tenet was the best score of the year. Uh, and it's the only score... You know, I don't really listen to, to film scores in my spare time, except for, for Blade Runner, because, you know, I just don't. I just listen to, new, to other music. Um, but the only one I've really put on has been Tenet, like, more than once. I think mm-hmm. uh, Tenet is, is an excellent score, and, and, and regardless of your thoughts on the film, um, regardless of your thoughts on the sound, the, the I think it's, it's an excellent score, and I think, if you know, it would be my pick to win if it, not my pick, but my personal pick to win if it had been nominated. But we aren't talking about score right now. We get back to adapted screenplay, and I just want to ask about the White Tiger. How big of a surprise was that, Will? Not very, because it got WGA and BAFTA. I was actually predicting it. I just didn't think oh, Borat did would get in alongside it. Yeah, Borat was the, definitely the biggest surprise there. I did hear about the White Tiger getting in it. I didn't have it in my personal five, but yeah, Borat is obviously the big one. Um, and obviously we talked about it for ages. I, I kind of agree, kind of just going from my White Tiger point, that I don't... I like, I like Borat a lot, um, but a film which is as you say essentially about improvisation i don't understand how you could look at films that were tightly scripted and think that borat had a better script do you know what i mean it's just i don't know just, i feel like it's a very strange pick it's it's I, nice that it yeah. did but i just understand how a film that is essentially about interaction with real people and just with kind of plot beats how that could get in there over a 130 page screenplay I have my fingers crossed for I'm thinking about new things as well, and that yeah. didn't happen. So, big Will, loser was uh, was that. Will, what do you think of I'm thinking of new things? Um, I respect what it's going for. I can't say I loved it. Fair enough. I mean, that's to be fair. That is more praise than like. 90% of the people that I've talked to about that film. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> also, can we just talk? I mean. I know, I know. Have we done VFX already or not? We kind of touched on it. But we touched on it. 
We can I mean, the, to it if you want. No, I'm just I'm just thinking about the Invisible Man, how it didn't get anything either. <laughs> yeah, well, we knew that wasn't going to happen. As if the Invisible Man was going to get it. It should have got something, though. Oh, man, it's a good film. I mean... We haven't done yeah. some, we haven't done original screenplay or cinematography. Also, Ma have... Rainey missed as well, which is... Uh... Yes, Ma Rainey missed. Yeah, Ma Rainey missed. Ma Rainey missed and Borat got in. Um... How do you feel, Sam? Your two favourite films of all time. <laughs> well, Borat and Ma Rainey. Yeah, vying for that, vying for that best adapted screenplay. Well, I've... I mean... My two favourite screenplay adapted screenplays probably were, was I'm Thinking of Any Things and and Ma Rainey. And neither of them got picked. As much as I appreciate Nomad Land. Uh yeah, I don't know, it's tough. It hurts. It hurts a little to not see Ma Rainey there, to be honest. Um but I guess, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It, I guess like... Nomad Land is ninety nine percent winning that category now though. Yo, yeah. Yeah. Once yeah. uh Miami missed picture I mean, now I think you have to say the father is probably in second, but I, you know, yeah, no, nah, Chloe's Chloe's getting at least two Oscars, maybe three, maybe four, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, On to the original screenplay section. There's Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and Charge Go Seven. Now, after looking at the adapted screenplay section, how boring, eh? Nothing special happened. But they didn't throw in like I don't know. Uncle what, original screenplay. Yeah, it's like you no, know, comparably to the to the adapted, there's no um, like, really weird film in there. I'm trying to think what what, what I would have had in there as a, as a preference. I think oh okay on my list I have Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal. Oh yeah, so yeah my my fifth which I wanted to get in but didn't uh, was Soul, but that was very much an outside shot. Um. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of not really surprised. I guess yeah, very much a uh, expected perhaps yeah, for that. Yeah, very straightforward lineup. I mean, Mank is a little surprising. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, true. since it's Mank, about yeah. screenwriters, but you know, Jack Fincher is deceased, and he was not an insider in the industry when he was alive, and obviously, it um. You know, it's it's a film that people do have issues with its writing. The dialogue's great, but the structure, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I'm not hugely shocked. I would say you're exactly right. These are a pretty predictable five. Yeah, I would have picked... I th- can't remember exactly what I think. I think I picked Mank over Sound of Metal. Yeah, so did I, yeah. But I didn't think I both Judas and Sound were going to get in. I thought they were dueling it, duking it out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, I'm surprised that Mank didn't get in there, but there's no, like, really weird, like, you know, like, Rebecca didn't get in there. Obviously, I did that, did, but you know what I mean? Yeah, um, nothing really weird got got, in that, got nominated there. Um, but yeah, so we, what do we think's winning at that then? Trial Chicago 7? Is that what we're going for? Well, if Trial Chicago 7 is winning Best Picture, it's winning Screenplay, but it's yeah. looking weaker and weaker by the moment. I think it's entirely possible Promising Young Woman could do it kind of reminds me of 2017 where you know you had uh three billboards and the shape of water were bigger threats to win best picture but get out ended up winning as kind of the more high concept movie mm. this this branch uh same with uh her beating american hustle back in 2013 
So I do think promising could maybe win here. Um, it's, you know, it's just a really interesting concept. It will have passionate support. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I can see that. I, I think, do you think if, if, I'm trying, to think, <laughs> I'm trying to talk my way into Judas and Black Messiah winning and screenplay nomination. Do you think no, it does re- Yeah. I was just going to say that's, I, I would actually want Judas and Black Messiah. I think my, my prediction is promising young woman. Um, and I would be happy with that winning. I think that's my second choice. I'm, I'm um, predicting. I would, the thing is, I want Judas. I would think Judas is the best, probably, or maybe promising woman. I can't really pre- predict Trial of Chicago Seven because I predicted Judas to win it, to win Best Picture. And if Charlie gets one, wins this, then that probably puts it in in a good position to win Best Picture. I don't know. It's a tough one. I'm kind of doing it, saying stupid shit. I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna go for promising young woman as well. Actually, yeah. Who? What do you? What would you like? To, I want Judas to win. What would you like to win if you you could choose Will? I would probably choose Promising too. I mean, I, I really like that screenplay and that film as a whole. Okay. So the the last like one we have to right, we can have a little bit of talk after. Yeah. Um, but the last one we have to is cinematography, of course. Uh, Jesus of Osiria, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, Charles Go Seven. Uh, once again, Will, anything surprising there? No, I got I went five for five in this one. Um, I figured there was no way Cherry was happening with. The Oscars, even though it got the American Society Cinematographer nomination. Even though you had an actual, like, anal shot. <laughs> yeah. Can we call it that? Yeah, yeah, it was an anus POV shot. Uh, so, no, that was exactly who I thought was going to get nominated. Um, people were skeptical about Trial of Chicago 7, but I, I've i had that in this category for about three months now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, Tenet wasn't going to happen. Warner Brothers threw that movie under the bus. They didn't send screeners. And they pulled it from the WBFIC app, apparently. So uh, I, <laughs> that is why it was not a factor here. So that's why I wasn't mm-hmm. surprised. And yeah, I mean, I, I, there was kind of a thin field this year. It was pretty much the only you, five people who could be here. Are you, um, I mean, Chicago 7 for me, as I've as I've mentioned many times, didn't didn't necessarily do it for me, and cinematography didn't really stand out. I mean, yeah, you I kind agree. of convinced me on the editing front, but for over Chicago Seven, I would probably have had the likes of the Five Bloods and even something like Malcolm Marie, which was very mixed critically. Um, I think we can all agree, cinematography in that film was very good. So that was that they were the two that I was even Minari or Cherry. I mean, Cherry probably yeah, but- not, but Minari perhaps. So here's the thing. This branch is another one where they like to nominate people who are in the club. Um, they right. have quite literally never had a year where there wasn't at least one former nominee in this category. And That's mad. Yeah, literally never. since. Or I, I think the last time was 1931. So they had Oof. to have somebody who was in the club, and that's Fido and Papa Michael who, you know, he did Ford versus Ferrari in Nebraska. So he's the closest thing they had to kind of a, a member of the club. And it's, it is a film they liked overall. And, you know, it's it's not amazingly strikingly shot, but the, the night sequences during the riots are pretty well shot, pretty well lit. The courtroom interiors are solid. 
like it's not Roger Deakins, but it's also not the imitation game. It's it's good enough looking. And at the end of the day, they never go for indie type work like they have in Minari. They just didn't like the five bloods. And yeah, that's clear. Tenet wasn't happening. So and then Malcolm and Marie, you know, they already have their black and white fix and that film mm-hmm. once the reviews yeah. dropped, they kind of gave up on campaigning it. So I, this is about the only combination that could have happened, I think. Yeah. So um am I imagining things or did you say you think Chicago Seven's winning this? Is it or did you not say? No, you're imagining that. I I'm imagining it's... things. <laughs> Sorry, I'm high. I'm so God, high. No, right no, now, I'm, I'm shocked at one. No, this is uh, between Nomadland and Mank. I think Mank, for myself, right? Um, Nomadland's beautiful. Uh, and I think um, maybe if I went for choice, I think I'd probably go Mank as well. But I think they just love black and white. And I think Mank's got this. It just, oh, it's a beautiful looking film. I think the, the, the mixture between. Um, I think maybe people talk about so much about Mank doing well because it's like old Hollywood and they love their own and such. Uh, I think maybe in the cinematography, you know, the, the way that it kind of respects and emulates that kind of style that, that was around, you know, at the time of Citizen Kane, maybe you think that might be a, an element in pushing it over Nomadland? Yeah, it's possible. And then also just in terms of craft, Nomadland's a gorgeous film, but at the end of the day, and you know, it's it's shot outside at golden hour times and the shots are lovely, but in terms of uh, technical feat of pulling off the the lighting work they had to do in Mank, especially in the interiors, is incredibly impressive. But it, it could go either way if this is just a full blown uh Nomadland love fest on Oscar night, then you know it could easily pick this up. But they do like their black and white stuff, so um, that's kind of a coin toss at this point. Fair enough. Um, what about you, Jail? What do you think is going to win? Uh, I think it will be Nomadland, but I can see Mank coming on strong, and the black and white, and the Hollywood fair, and and so on, as you mentioned, could could maybe help for over the line. Personally, um, my personal choice is Nomadland. Nomadland. Yeah. However, however, I am very, very pleased to see Judas and the Black Messiah. I think the cinematography in that film was absolutely beautiful, and I'm very glad that it got a nomination. It got some recognition. I don't think it's going to win. I don't think it has much of a shot against Mank and Nomadland. Um, but yeah, I'm very, very glad that uh, Judas and the Black Messiah got a, got a nomination. Yeah, uh, yeah, very well shot film. I say I, I don't feel as even though I love that film, obviously my number one film out of the best picture choices. Uh, I didn't feel as passionately perhaps about the cinematography as the more f- maybe flashy Mank. Um, but yeah, so personal choice uh, there, Will. Uh, probably Mank. Okay. Yeah. Nice to see a fellow man of culture there. So, is there any feel like? <laughs> uh, so, okay, like. You know, another round's winning um, Best International Film and, and etc. Um, Johnson is dead. Got got missed out of documentary. There's which always there's always a me. big miss in the in the best doc category. So yeah. you know that that was this year. As I thought it was going to be time. Uh, now the Oscar could go to Collective. It could go to the Octopus Teacher, which had a really good precursor run, and now Netflix will pull their full campaign might behind it and um you know there there's also the possibility that so time 
octopus teacher or collective I, th- I think it's between those three um and collective pulled off the honeyland thing too where it got both international film and documentary nominations which is pretty impressive but also yeah. could split votes yeah i mean i've only seen dick johnson from this category but f- based on sort of what i've been hearing and, and reviews and stuff and the, the fact that these you know there's the other categories I'm perhaps a bit surprised that Welcome to Chechnya and All in the Fight for Democracy both missed out and Boys State, like, all three of those missed. I'm very surprised by... Um, sorry, no, all four of those missed. Uh, I'm very surprised by. Yeah, it's a weird ca- it's a, it's a weird branch. They always have very idiosyncratic choices. I love Boys State, one of my favorite movies of the year. It just didn't have a great precursor run, and I don't really know why, because Apple pushed it hard, but just it was you know it was a great year for docs and these things happen um much like jl i haven't seen any of these documentaries i'll admit it i haven't seen anyone but i'm assuming you've seen dick johnson yeah no but it's not nominated oh oh, other nominations yeah yeah um but i'm assuming you have uh well uh or have you seen at least you know a few of them yeah i've seen some of them uh i've seen collective and i've seen the mole agent out of those I still oh, okay. need to catch Crip Camp, Octopus Teacher, and Time. So okay. So what? What? So collective mole agent out of those two you've seen, which one should I go watch tomorrow? What? 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 Collective is really fascinating, especially the first half. It's it's a really kind of riveting expose as it happens of just shocking amounts of governmental corruption. So I would watch that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And I say it's got that that double norm. So that is a uh, particularly interesting. Um, on the O on the. Okay, so the nominations, so on a general thing, the nominations came out, and of course, Mank got the most nominations, but that is not obviously the basic answer to who won nominations day. Uh, well, who who really won big here? Who was, you know, yeah, you know what I'm asking, yeah? Who won big? Yeah, I, um, I, it's, it's hard to say because there was Mank and then like five different films had six nominations, so... Uh, Promising Young Woman, Nomadland, Minari, and Sound of Metal all, we're going to say they all split it. And, and Judas, mm. actually. Uh, all of those had really great days. I, I can't pick one out of them. They all could have had, like, Nomadland could have gotten David Strathairn or a sound nomination to really give it its best possible day. Minari could have gotten editing. Promising Young Woman could have gotten costumes. Judas could have gotten director. So every one of them could have had like one nomination to make it better, but they all had pretty damn good days. Okay, my next question, I am going to push you for a one. Who what one film had the worst day? Oh, um probably Ma Rainey. Mm-hmm. You know, for a for a film that back in the fall people talked about as potentially could have been up there with Mank as one of the nomination leaders. It, it had a pretty rough day coming out to, I think, only five nominations. You know, it, it just never really materialized in places like cinematography and sound or Glenn Terman and supporting actor that people thought it would have. So that was a pretty underwhelming season for it across the board. Yeah, um, yeah, I'd agree massively and say I've, I've been very much on record about how much I love that film, and yeah, it's very disappointing to see how it did. Well, you got a point to say there, Jail? Yeah, I was going to say perhaps one night in Miami as well for a, 
for a loser and for for winners i'd personally go with Judas and the Black messiah and the father films that very much were kind of could they couldn't they in, in a bunch of categories you know the father in editing and production design um and Judas and the black messiah in in cinematography and and, a, and, a, and obviously big shock with uh lakeith stanfield as i mentioned so i'd say those are the two two wins and two of my favorite films of the of the academy sort of voting season so very very happy to see those doing well i think that uh Ma Rainey does beat uh one that man if having the worst night because of the expectation in which it had for i think not nobody would be that surprised to see one that Miami drop out of that best picture nomination i don't think people would have been that surprised to see it drop out of a couple others but i think Ma Rainey was quite a much like a shoe in people really think it one that Miami maybe wasn't as highly touted in a lot of those areas and that's why i'd say that that it would get there but i can definitely understand those are the two obviously the two general losers i think maybe maybe a few places maybe people maybe expected 10 it would have done a little better um but overall you know i don't think anyone's too surprised about that um on a personal level will what single nomination are you the the happiest about what nomination are you kind of maybe from where you were an hour before the nominations to an hour after nominations what of the nominations do you think that like yeah i'm so happy that happened yeah i'm, I'm so happy for paul racy you know I, okay. I think that's he's got a really cool life story and it's rare you see an actor you truly never heard of before the movie go on to get an oscar nomination so i thought that was really cool mm-hmm. yeah uh what about you joe uh i would say what would I say? I'd say either Judas in cinematography, which might be a bit of a surprise, or The Father just doing well across the board the way it's done in best picture, editing, production design. Obviously, Anthony Hopkins was kind of a lock-in actor, but yeah, I'm very happy to see The Father doing very well um, in some categories where it was kind of you know, on the on the border and people were saying, oh, it might not actually get in there. It might, other things might get in over it. Um, I'm very happy to see to see The Father doing well. Myself, whilst um, it is uh, a kind of slightly strange one, I don't think he should win or anything, I think I'm very happy about Lakeith Stanfield being nominated for Supporting Actor because it shows the appreciation for the film itself and maybe makes me realise, uh, maybe makes me think that, that Judas it was more appreciated than I initially thought that it might have been. So yeah, that is the, uh, the positive, uh, the big positive there. Uh, I just want to ask um, on a personal level uh, as well. Uh, me and JL are, are maybe going to do an episode about our kind of our alternative Oscars, the films that didn't get nominated that should have got nominated, or or the films that were never in the conversation that we'd have liked to. Uh, is there any film that didn't get nominated for a single Oscar that you personally would have would have loved to have seen in a kind of alternative Oscars? Is there any film that you thought was really underrepresented, or or maybe thing that is up there with the best films of the year that just wasn't talked about? Will? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, my The films I most loved that fit that category ended up getting delayed. Like, I love Nine Days, but... I'm so excited to see that. I can't yeah, wait for rigged. that film. So it'll be in contention next year. Uh, I think Palm Springs is probably my favorite film that didn't get a single nomination, but I also wasn't really optimistic about that happening, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah, that doesn't really matter because my, my answer's Baby Teeth, right? And everyone knows that because it's my favourite film ever. But it's, like, that's obviously never going to get a nomination. So, yeah, well, Palm Springs... The thing is, though, Palm Springs could have got a nomination, right? Because, like, it was kind of in that conversation for a few things. Like, it wouldn't have been... It could have got one nomination, right? You know what I mean? Like, it got nominations at the Globes, so it could have, like, 
kind of could have got one nomination. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it was, you know, it got the WGA. It was in the hunt for screenplay. And it, you know, got some decent Guild nominations. But again, it wasn't a huge miss. But I, mm-hmm. I would have liked that to happen. Yeah, JL, there's so many films. Uh, this, we've talked about the podcast that the film. I have a full list of films here that yeah. I Yeah. <laughs> but is there's one, what are you think in St. Maud? Are you thinking. <sighs> there's too many to choose from. Invisible Man. Man. Invisible Man, I'm thinking of Ending Things. St. Yeah. Maud, Malcolm Maurice, uh, Swallow, Never Relate Sometimes Always, St. Francis, Baby Teeth, Ammonite. I, 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 I wanted Ammonite to get a costume design just was. because of. I thought it would. Yeah, I, I wanted that night costume just because I wanted to get something. There's a bunch of other smaller indie films, you know, His House. Um, yeah, I'm, although I have got, I have got on this list films which I don't think are going to get any any nominations um, in sort of the major categories uh, that I think deserve them. And another round is in this list, so ah. I'm very glad that, uh, as I said before, Thomas Vinterberg got got a nomination. Okay. Um... Well, we've got him here, Joe. Is there any questions you want to ask Will before we go? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I do need to head out soon. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I've got to go. Okay, yeah, final question. Who is winning the most Oscars? Oh, that is a very good question. Uh, I think just as we saw the love spread out a lot more this year than last year, where we had like four films get ten nominations, I think mm-hmm. wins are going to be spread out a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Um I don't expect any big nomin- or big win hauls, but I think Nomadland has a pretty good chance at this point of getting picture, director, adapted screenplay, and maybe editing, and hell, I mean, there's a world where it takes Francis along, so um, I would say it has that pretty good combo, and then in theory... Given like how Ma Rainey underperformed, Mank could still have a decent day and get production design, costume design, cinematography, uh, something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I would say probably one of those. Okay, okay. very interesting. Um, but yeah, I have things to do, and so do you. So we are very busy people, and we need to get off. We could talk about if we had unlimited time. I'm sure we could talk about these <laughs> for a lot longer, but. I want to big big thank you, Will, for coming on and giving us your expertise. I was more than yes. happy to. Thanks for letting me come. Yeah, it's thanks. all good. We'd love to have you back sometime. So all thank right. you very much. You you can um, where can we find you, Will? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. Okay, and you can find Jordan Luke McDonald on Twitter at by John Luke and Letterbox at the same. At by John Luke, not the same. You can find me on Twitter at Sam H Media and on Letterbox at Sam Houston. You can find the pod on Twitter at Now Showing po- uh, Now Showing Film. You can get to the pod directly at NowShowingPod at gmail.com. We are proud members of the Music City Drive-In Network. You can find them on their website or MCDI Pod at on Twitter. They release a whole host of different podcasts about different subjects, including films like our own and Film Optics, which do a bit more of the nerdy stuff, and Music Driving themselves, talking a lot about the awards uh, season themselves. Uh, of course, we've, we've been on there before, doing our thoughts on the Whiskies, which was their personal awards. Um, and if you like f- uh, music, there's the 50 Years of Music podcast. If you like uh, American football, there is the Fantasy Football Roundtable, hashtag Go Rams. 
And, of course, there's an awful lot of other stuff uh, on podcasts on there and different articles and stuff. If you want to check that out, you can also give us a five-star rating on iTunes if uh, to give the, the best uh, way of getting us bigger. That's the way that we get up in the rankings. Uh, do you have any clue what we're doing next week, JL? Um, I'm not too sure. There's a couple of things coming out uh, on various streaming services. Uh, which we could look at, and there's also always the option of us doing the alternative Oscars uh, okay. if, there's, if there's not too much for us to cover. So keep an eye out for that if we end up doing that. And then obviously in about a month's time we'll be doing our Oscars uh, roundup with the with the winners. So look forward to that. Yes. Okay. So we'll see you all then. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Too much.